yeah, if you're a kid and you want to go to class, out those doors to the left. Mosey up. lost on the mission field, but I got lost not once, but two times. And, uh, you know, it's amazing what God will do when you get lost. In fact, my message title is, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And so that's my message title today. <laughs> what to do when you don't know what to do. You know, I, uh, it's amazing. God is uh, so good. I'm going to actually be sharing on Cambodia a little later, although I'm going to touch on a few things this morning. Uh, Harold and Jim and Elijah are still there. They're staying over the weekend there. Uh, I decided to come back after I got lost and found. <laughs> I know. And I, 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 tell, I tell Chuck this when I go over there. I said, Chuck, I am not called to be a missionary. I'm a big baby, and I know it. Call it unbelief. Call it fear. But I am a Texan, and I cannot wait to get home. <laughs> no, but it, it, was, uh, it was a tremendously insightful and a blessing. We had a, a powerful time in Phnom Penh, but half of my time uh, was Chuck took us into some very, very remote villages. And uh, we were literally wading in the mud. Uh, we got out of the truck because we couldn't go certain places by uh, truck. So we literally went into some very, very remote villages, and we had to walk. And Chuck didn't tell me this before we went over there, but we had to walk. I had these galachis on and some uh, cutoffs, thank God, because we were walking in this soupy clay, kind of like Texas mud, but it's just gooey. And we went in a, about a quarter of a mile halfway into this remote area where we met some people. We're, we're, we have some pictures we'll upload uh, later on in the week and just so you can see where we went. But just some precious, precious people in Cambodia. You know, God is doing a work in the nation of Cambodia. I don't know if any of you ever heard of the Khmer Rouge that really kind of built. It was a... It was a uh, uh, army, a militia group of people by a leader by the name of Pal Pot, who was a man who rose to power through his Marxist and communist ideas, and he began to turn against the Cambodia uh, government by bringing together a group of disgruntled Cambodians, turned them into an army of militia, and literally overthrew the government and killed about three and a half million Cambodian people. And as a result of that, when I was going over last uh, week or so, uh, and I was just waiting on the Lord, the Lord uh, spoke to my heart and spoke to me. He said, Ray, the nation of Cambodia has the spirit of an orphan or an orphan spirit upon it. Because when you go over there, literally two 
generations of people were completely annihilated. And through genocide, he, he wiped out two generations. There's, there's no Cambodian you can talk to that doesn't have some kind of a family member that has been affected by what happened in the late 70s and the 80s. It's amazing. You talk to many adults about my age and even younger, and their parents are dead because of what happened there. They were either uh, in what they refer to as the killing fields. Uh, He took them into schoolhouses, converted entire schoolhouses into uh, places of torture and execution. And uh, it was a a horrible setting in in those days. And as a result of it, literally, fathers and mothers were annihilated. Children, even foreigners, like I said, three and a half million people were taken and destroyed. Children were uh, uh, left to fend for themselves, raise themselves. And it's amazing. You can see many Cambodians and others there that uh, over, over time and over uh, just the time there, they've tried to put somewhat of a life together, but it was, it's been a society that has been very much disconnected. Dex, dis, disconnected from the reality of what a family unit is, what relationships are. Today, they, they look to the West. A lot of Cambodians, it's a third world country. It's, it really is on its way out of poverty. Your major cities are beginning to thrive. A lot of Nations are coming into Cambodia, and they're, uh, they're making some major investments. You'll see high-rises and buildings coming up. Uh, they're kind of catching the, the dream of prosperity, the dream to have things. The unfortunate thing, though, is like even many Americans today. How many of you know you can have the American dream, but still not really live a fulfilled life? Not really experience the true joy and peace that only Jesus can give as you connect with your Creator. But, but uh, I had, uh, by the way, just to let you know, this is about my 20th time or maybe more than that. I've been to Asia, been around the world, but uh, much of my journey has been over to Asia, uh, China, Japan, Sapporo, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines. I've been all over that area, and just as the Lord has opened doors, for us to minister, we we ministered primarily in this this past uh, couple of weeks just ministry on the heart of the Father, and when you begin to minister on that, so many people today when you talk about God, when you bring up the subject of the Bible, most most people relate to God in the form of a function at church. Most people, when you ask them about Jesus, they'll. You ask them, just do you know the Lord? And the, the one response, even in America, we get is, oh, I do or I don't go to church. How many of you know that that's not a relationship with God? Is is a church function. Most people today have no concept of a relationship with a heavenly Father. In fact, let me just kind of give you the vision of New Life Fellowship, just for, for us to all understand this so we can grasp this uh, some of you may or may not know this, but, but our vision at New Life is to really bring a revelation of who our Heavenly Father is. Amen? How many of you know that Jesus was the extension of the Father? Jesus did not come to just extens, extend the function of certain religious traditions. Jesus didn't come to earth so you could just turn over a new leaf and get into church and become a religious individual. He really intended through the 
death of the cross and the message of the kingdom for you to be connected to your Creator, for you to be connected to your Heavenly Father so that you would experience the power of His Holy Spirit living, breathing, and dwelling inside of your heart. I mean, God intended to live within you and He intended to have such an intimate, close relationship with you. One of the things, too, is that unfortunately... People who just have been connected to religion or connected to church and they've seen so much phoniness and they've seen so much shallowness even in the church because they've only seen the church function. But they've never come to understand how that the purpose of the church was to really bring the message of restoration and bring the message of life and to connect you with your Heavenly Father here on earth. So the first part of our vision is to help bring the revelation of the Father to people. And the revelation of the Father means this, is that you are now connected to your Heavenly Father through Jesus and you are connected to family. Everyone say family. God wants you to know that when you're connected to Him, you're connected to family. Now, I know today, family is kind of discombobulated, disconnected, and when people think of family, they run. In fact, I found that the most depressing time of the year for most Americans is Christmas and the holidays. Why? Because they've got to get with family. Because there's so much dysfunction with family. But God intended that family be something that is rich, something that is meaningful. God intended for us that when we come to experience the power of His kingdom, that He not only lives and He breathes upon us, but He has actually made us partners with Him. For us to actually experience His glory. Jesus didn't come down here to make you change your life. Now that's a shock to some of us. Some of us think, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right with God. Now I'm going to change myself. Let me just stop you from the very beginning of that kind of an idea and let you know that you will never change yourself in your own strength. You might as well quit and give up right now. Only He has the power to change you, and that can only happen as you encounter and have a, have a confrontation with the grace and the love of God. That's why the Apostle Paul in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3 wrote a powerful passage where he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, write to you that you might know the dispensation of the riches of His grace. Here, here was a, a modern day in his day. He was a modern day terrorist. Can you imagine God taking a terrorist because he terrorized the church He persecuted Christians, had him thrown in prison. God reveals His love and grace to a man who hated Christians, converts him through the revelation of of the Father, softens that hardened heart, and gives him such love for the church that he actually made certain statements like this. He said, I wish that I myself could become accursed that Israel might be saved. In other words, what he was saying is, God has so changed my heart that I would rather go to hell eternally if it meant that Israel could be saved. Only God's love can do that kind of a change. Amen. 
In other words, and the second thing that I think is so important as far as the vision, the vision of this house, is to bring heaven on earth. How many of you know it's God's, the Father's plan is to bring heaven on earth and to reveal the power of heaven? And how many of you know what's in heaven? Peace, joy, righteousness. There's no sickness in heaven. By the way, there's no sin in heaven. God wants to bring the revelation of heaven, which of course is the very presence and the glory and the splendor of the Father. And He wants to reveal it in your life. He wants to bring heaven on earth. In fact, when you are saved and you are baptized with the Holy Ghost, you possess the power and the life of heaven. You actually usher heaven. You bring heaven. You have the power to transform the environment around you. Now, one of the, one of the sad things in the church is so many people today, so many people that come to churches or they, 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 when they start thinking about the Lord, they begin to think about how wrong or how bad they are and how weak they are and how sinful and all the mistakes they've made. And here's the point. The devil wants you to continue to dwell on how weak, how sinful, and how bad, and how bad your marriage is, and how bad you are. And he knows that if he can hold you at that level of defeat, you will be powerless. Jesus died, rose again, to raise you, and He seated you with Him in heavenly places. And the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin, and He imputed into your life His righteousness. Which means this, is that you now are right with God. It doesn't mean you're earning it. It doesn't mean you're working hard at it. It means that there's been such a transformation and a transition from darkness to light, from weakness to strength, from poverty to to wealth in the kingdom, from from being weak, beggarly, from becoming an orphan to becoming sons and daughters of the king. There's been such a promotion in the mind of God and in what He did at the cross that you now walk in the Bible in Revelation chapter 1, calls you who believe and have received it. He calls you kings and priests unto Him. And so our vision here is to not only bring heaven on earth, but to empower, everyone say empower. God wants to empower your mind first. He wants to empower your mind. He wants to empower your vision. He wants to empower your relationships. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to stop trying and we need to start being what He called us to be. The first thing you need to do when you, when you become a Christian is you, 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 it's not about, well, okay, okay, God, I'll, I'll put away the cigarettes and the beer and the marijuana and stop reading porn and Okay, now I'm going to really try to be... Oh, God, help us. That's the confession of what most people think. No, all you have to say is, Lord, I can't change myself. But I know through your grace and through the revelation of your love, you've already changed me. See, you've got to embrace what he's already done. Now, one of the biggest hurdles is what's clogged up in our mind through strongholds. Many of us have come out of religious backgrounds. Many of you have been offended. Many of us have been hurt by former ministries and 
and ministers that meant well, ministries that meant well, but did not know how to communicate who we are in Christ and what Jesus did at the cross. We don't, we don't understand that. And in fact, the news of the gospel is called good news. In fact, it is so good that it's almost unattainable and unreachable in our own natural mind. Because what he did was he delivered us from the curse, destroyed the power of sin on the cross... He transformed your nature, lifted you in heavenly places. He's crowned you with loving kindness. He's wiped the slate clean. He's put a crown on your head. He's clothed you with beauty, given you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He's done all of these good things, and there's not one thing you can do to improve on that. He's done it all. Everyone say, He's done it all. all. See, the vision, the vision of God, God's vision for the house, is to help His sons and daughters, who, for the most part, many of us, live like orphans. We still have an orphan mentality. Last year, I spoke on breaking the orphan spirit in this generation. It's in Cambodia. Breaking the orphan spirit is a person who feels outside of the family. An orphan spirit is a person who does not know where they belong. They don't know their identity. They don't really have a sense of direction in their life. An orphan spirit is an individual who has, who really has a problem with authority. Because in every family there's authority. And when you have authority, orphan spirits often act and live independently. They have this mindset, I, I don't need anybody, I can do it by myself. I can do I don't need no one. See, that's an orphan spirit. But when, you're under, when you understand that you're a son, a son understands the beauty and the power and the empowerment that comes through being connected with the Father. Because th- that's why Jesus modeled relationship with the Father. There was not a time in John 4 and 5 and 6 through 8, you'll find that Jesus was always referring to His Heavenly Father. And He made statements like this. He says, the things that I do, I do not of myself, because of myself I can do nothing. But what I hear and what I see, what I do, I do it because I've seen the Father do it. And He always honored the Father. Jesus never spoke. And Jesus never acted on His own. He took inventory of life. He says, the things that I say and do, I do it because my Father in heaven has showed me. And then what he says, I love it in John 5, he says, the things that I do, I do because my Father has given to me all authority. And He's given me judgment. And He's given me the power to give life to those whom I want to give life to. And here's the beautiful thing, folks is that as the Father has empowered the Son, so has Jesus empowered us to be sons and daughters, to be just like Jesus. 1 John 4.19 says, For as He is, so are we in this world. In other words, you have the same favor that Jesus had. You have the same dove that was anointed when Jesus was baptized in the river, the same dove that came and rested upon Jesus, the same Holy Spirit dwells upon you right now. 
It's nothing you have to earn. You may say, oh, Pastor Ray, you just don't understand, man. I'm just so weak and I'm so carnal and I cussed out my wife last night and I had some dirty thoughts last week and, man, I even stole from the checker the other day. And you're telling me I'm a son and I'm a mighty man of God. Yes, you're a mighty man of God and God still calls you His son. The problem is you just haven't realized it. And when you begin to realize it, you're going to find that those old habit patterns are going to drop off by virtue of the glory and the power that God reveals to you as He reveals Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw. It wasn't just to make Jesus popular. When Jesus is lifted up and you begin to see Jesus for who He is, the Bible says, as, an, uh, the Bible says, as we behold His glory, we are all changed from glory to glory. And so the vision of this house is to lift Jesus up. And when you see His glory, His glory transforms your life. It's not done through fear. It's not done by giving you ten points and a poem and telling you how bad you are and how bad your sins have put Jesus on the cross and you are just walking under the fear and the curse of death and you should be fearful and you should feel bad and you should just understand that you're just walking so far from God and we have put preachers have put so much death on the church because they haven't had a revelation of God's grace so what we've done is we've we've paralyzed people from coming into the full potential of what Jesus did for us in fact my Bible says for whom he justified He also predestined. And who He predestined, He also glorified. I am not waiting to get to heaven. Because heaven's already in me. I'm not waiting for heaven. I'm not waiting for some crown. I'm not waiting for God's glory. His glory already rests on me. Right now. Oh, Pastor Ray, that's just not That's not reality. That's not reality, man. I mean, do you have problems, Pastor Ray? Yes, I got problems all the time. I got lost in Cambodia twice. But you know what? Even when you lose it, you get lost. You know, it's amazing what Paul brings out about God's grace. He says, and he was saying, talking about the storm in the flesh, and he was talking about that in every city, Acts chapter 20, I go to every city, every city that I go to, the Holy Spirit tells me that in every city, that problems and trials and persecutions, they are waiting for me. Wow, what a word from God. That every, every, he didn't say some, he said every city I go to, the Holy Spirit is telling me, problems, persecution, and trials, they're going to set me up. But here's what he said. None. Of these things move me. They do not move me. And here's why. He was not moved because God had so moved him. You see, you're never going to not be moved until... You see, the only way that you can be able to stand strong in the time whenever all hell breaks loose is when God has begun to move you. He's begun to touch you. He's begun to reveal. He's been able to pour inside of you something. You see, it doesn't matter what kind of storm you walk through because if you have peace on the inside, you'll have peace in the storm. The storm will not rule you if the peace of God rules your heart. The Bible says it's the peace that passes all understanding. In other words, you've got to come to a point where you begin to say, Lord, I understand. 
And I thank you for the things that I don't understand. Because the Bible says, it didn't say by facts or by knowledge or by revelation. That we, he says, by faith we understand. And when you begin to say, Lord, I don't see it, but yet I understand by faith. That's where God begins to open your eyes to see the realm of the invisible. You've got to learn that you may see, that's when you begin to call things that are not as though they are. You may see sin, you may see weakness, you may see problems, but you say, Lord, in all things, I am going to give you praise, even though I don't understand, because what you do is you actually cripple and you dethrone Satan's agenda on your life. You literally dethrone, you destroy his plan. The devil cannot stand Christians in the face of adversity who choose to worship and praise and to glorify his name. Because what it's a sign is, is it means you've crippled, you've dethroned his plan. He has no power, he has no ground against a believer who will not surrender to the Lord. So when you've surrendered to the Lord and you just say, Lord, I don't understand naturally, but I trust that you're in charge that's what happens. God begins to bring you into a level of vision and understanding and revelation. And peace like a river begins to flow in your life. But, but our vision is to empower, to see the revelation of the Father come. And then, of course, the last thing here is this, is that our, 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 our plan, the vision here, is to take the glory and the beauty of the message of God's grace to a world that needs Jesus. And to really help them understand what it is to have a revelation and relationship with their Heavenly Father. Can you say amen? amen. I, I want to just take you, I want you to jump with me into Isaiah chapter 30. I, I want to read something to you. It's such a, a powerful picture of, of the Lord here revealing Himself. And uh, I, I, I felt like the Lord just lay some things here on my heart. I want to just read, I'm going to read out of the a different translation this morning. But this, Isaiah is prophesying during a time where Israel had rebelled against the Lord. There was a, there was a disconnect. You know, when people are disconnected from the Lord, there's always a sense of fear. When, when they're, they're, not, they're not in a place where they need to be or they, they really don't know the Lord, there's always a place of fear. There's a place of, of concern. And the one thing I loved about Jesus, when you study Jesus, you know, the, I love what Jesus says in Luke 15. It says that Jesus ate and he drank with sinners. And Jesus honored sinners. He came to honor them by letting them know that who they are is very important to him. It's important that the church understands that we need to learn how to connect with people that don't know Him. We need to learn how to really befriend those who do not know Jesus. Do you believe that? Yes. We need to honor them. So much of the time, I think Christians in the past, what, what we want to do is we want to modify people's behavior. We want to kind of kick them in the gear, kick them in the butt, kind of put them under a little conviction and fear and make a project out of them and shape them up and then we say, now, now you're ready for church. Praise God. Wrong approach. Big time. But God's not interested in you or I shaping up sinners or unbelievers. God's approach and God's plan is for you to exemplify the heart of the Father 
by literally honoring people who do not know him. Jesus honored sinners. Now, I want you to understand this. When he ate and drank with sinners, I'm sure they had alcohol in their breath. They were probably high in pot, marijuana, and, and drugs. By the way, they had drugs back in Jesus' day. And they were high, and uh, Jesus probably saw a lot of activity that would make m- many of us probably just kind of gasp for air and, oh, wow, you know. But, but Jesus was able to get beyond all that. Jesus was able to literally embrace sinners. I, I believe Jesus was a huggy, touchy kind of a God. You may say, where is that in the Bible? Well, in Matthew chapter 8, I love it when the Bible says one day that Jesus was coming down from the mountain and a leper, a man covered with leprosy, and in in that day, remember, lepers were forbidden to come around the city. They could not come into the temple. They were uh, designed, they they were called unclean. They were forbidden to even bring sacrifice to the temple. But it said a leper came, fell at his feet, and began to worship, and he said, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Somewhere in the history of that leper, he heard some good news. Somewhere in his past, he'd heard all of his life, rejection, rejection, rejection. Get out. You're not worthy. Get out of here. You're not clean. You're not fit to be here. But when Jesus came along, people began to spread the news that Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus honors him. He actually hears their stories. Jesus was patient. He wasn't just here to to build his little spiritual religious empire. Jesus took the time to talk to the tax collector, talk to the prostitute, talk to the woman who was caught in in adultery. He, He took the time to sit down in the boat with fishermen and just ask them, how's how's the fishing business going? He didn't just come and say, hey guys, do you want to be part of my kingdom? I want you to come along and listen to what I'm doing. Jesus just came into their life. All he did was he began to listen. He just listened. He didn't come preaching at them. He didn't come placing demand. I want you to know something. Do you know that Jesus is interested in listening to you? He's not just interested in getting you into a program. He's interested in just letting you know that what you're going through is important to Him. He listens. How many here have a close friend? Well, we'll pray for some of you out there. But one of the things that you'll find that, uh, that makes people friends is when somebody will listen to you. Not only will they listen to you, but they will honor you and they will affirm you. Not only that, they they will let you know that you're special. You're special to me. You're important. Can you imagine somebody coming along to you and say, you know what? (laughs) You're a sick mess. I want to be your friend. You're, you're You're such a sick mess and you know, you got a lot of problems. By the way, I'm the answer man. i got answers for you. If you only do what I say and turn from your sick ways and start listening to me, and you'll be saved. Anybody want to be a friend with that kind of a person? Well, that's what the church has done. 
We've done that in the past. No, not, not willingly, not necessarily willingly. Some of us, we, haven't, we have not known what to do. We didn't know that God actually wanted to get personal with us. Today we live in such an impersonal, busy life. We're coming and going and, and, and people are just into making money, setting goals and strategizing and getting status and making a name for myself, trying to get here and whatever I do to climb over you to get to the top, push you out of the way. It's all about getting ahead. That's this life. So people just kind of feel used and abused and stepped on and pushed aside, used and, and just, oh, oh, you just want me in your church so you can step on me and get higher, right? That's what a lot of people think. They really don't know that when Jesus came in to this world, he took the time to spend with a leper. He took the time talk to a woman caught in adultery. He took a time to speak to a Samaritan woman. I love what it says in Luke chapter 4, where it says, to, he said to his disciples, I must needs be go through Samaria. I need to go through Samaria. And the disciples said, why? What's in Samaria? There's one solitary woman. Samaritan woman. She's an angry woman. She's a lonely woman. She's a broken woman. But I need, I need to go through Samaria. I need to find that Samaritan. One day Jesus had just fed the 5,000. I mean, his ministry was booming and things were popping. And all of a sudden Jesus turns to his disciples and says, guys, Let's get in the boat. We need to go to the other side. Okay, well, let's get going. They all get in the boat. They hit a storm. Jesus calms the storm. And then he has to deal with their unbelief and their fear and all that. They get into the other side. And out from these tombs come a, a, a madman. The Bible says that the, in the city of the Gadarenes, the Gadarenes could not constrain this madman who had legions of demons in him. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and he said, Why have you come? Have you come to, to torment me? The Bible says that Jesus spoke to those legion of demons and commanded that man to be free. He, he spoke to the powers of darkness and that man was set free. And the Bible says that the man that was naked, who lived in tombs, who was chained with chains that no man could bind, all of a sudden that man sat at the feet of Jesus and begged. The word in the Bible says that he begged Jesus that he could be with Jesus. It's amazing. This man did something that none of the disciples did. He says, Lord, I, I, want, I beg to be with you. And it says that Jesus did not permit him. When you go back and you read the book of Josephus and other writings, historical writings, you'll find that in the late first century, there were ten cities in the area of the Gadareans, all of which at the end of the first century had become Christians. And many historians believe it was because of the witness of the man who was filled with demons, who when he went out as an evangelist, all those cities were converted because of the witness and the testimony of what Jesus did for him. The end of, that man 
brought conversion and deliverance because of what Jesus did, because of one simple encounter. And here's the reason why. Jesus took the time. Jesus said, you're important. Jesus did not just cast him off, didn't try to convert him in a, in a way that, to, to make him change for the sake of just getting into religion. Jesus brought value. He empowered him with a sense of understanding concerning the Father's love and the Father's grace. And that man began to take a testimony out to the rest of his entire country in that territory and bring the message of God's goodness and grace. And the entire east side of the Sea of Galilee was converted to Christianity before the end of the first century. Now that is a powerful testimony. In this passage in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 30, it's a text where the Lord is speaking to the prophet Isaiah. And it's in this passage that Isaiah is prophesying to a people that are in rebellion against the Lord. And God even begins to speak to them. Let, let me read it. I'm reading from the New Living. It says, Destruction is certain for my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to my will. You weave a web of plans that are not from my spirit, thus piling upon sins, for without consulting me you have gone down to Egypt. Now remember, Egypt, symbolically in the Bible, is a type of the world. It means that you're putting your trust as trust in things of the world. It says, For without consulting me, you've gone down to Egypt or to the world to find help. You put your trust in Pharaoh for his protection. But in trusting Pharaoh, you will be humiliated and disgraced. For though his power extends to Zon and Hanes, it will turn out to be your shame, and he will not even be able to help you one little bit. Jump down to verse 8. Now go write these words concerning Egypt. Now the Lord's speak, beginning to speak to his own people here. And when and will they will stand they will then stand until the end of time as a witness to Israel's unbelief. For these people are stubborn rebels who who refuse to pay any attention to the Lord's instructions. They tell the prophets, "Shut up. We don't want your words anymore or your reports," they say. "Don't tell us the truth." Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Forget all the gloom. We've heard this more than enough about your Holy One of Israel. We're tired of listening to what He has to say. Now, I want to give you a picture here. of, uh, And the reason I'm reading this passage is I want you to understand what Isaiah is dealing with. He's dealing with some people with a bad attitude. How many have ever dealt with people with a bad attitude? I mean, they're just basically saying to Isaiah, who's a prophet, we don't want God, okay? We want lies. I'd rather have a lie. I don't need God in, your li in my life. So they're really turning, and these are God's people. God's trying to warn them, speak to them. Can't go to Egypt, trust in them for help. <clears throat> Verse 12, this is what the reply of the Holy One of Israel. Because you despise what I tell you and trust instead of oppression and lies, calamity is going to come upon you suddenly. It will... It will be like a bulging wall that bursts and falls in, in an instant. It will collapse and come crashing down. You will, be ashamed. you will be smashed in pieces like pottery, shattered so completely that there won't be a piece left that is big enough to carry coals from the fireplace or a little water from the well. The Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says, Only in returning to me and waiting for me will you be saved. In quietness and in confidence. Will you find strength? 
But you would have none of this. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you for, for of them and will make you flee and you will be left like a lonely flagpole on a distant mountaintop. Now, I, here, God is, God is so loving. How many of you know that the Lord loves you so much that He, like a good father, will chasten you as a son? The Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, He chastens. He's actually given Israel warning. He says, I, I'm, I want you to know that you may not want me. You, you don't want to hear what I have to say. Well, go ahead and go your way, but you're going to find yourself empty and alone. And you're not going to find any help from Egypt. I don't know about you guys, but even though I'm a pastor and I've, I've been a Christian most of my life, I want to tell you something. There's been times in my life where I've backslid. I, I've not always trusted in the Lord. There's been times where I've sinned against God. One of the things I've come to find out is that God will let me do whatever I want to do. He will let me do it. But he will not take his hand off my life. Now, he will warn me, and he's allowed me to be chastened. There's, and I'll tell you one thing, it only pays to serve God. It pays to serve him. And uh, I, I wished I would have listened at those times, but he was still gracious to me. And one thing I can also say is when I've always called upon him, he's been merciful. I love what verse 8 says. This is the good part. I wanted to read all this as a setup because in... The first part of chapter 30, we're we're seeing how in this passage, God's people are just really away from him. But I love what it says in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 18. But the Lord will still wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for him to help them. Can you say amen? Amen. I want you to notice what God didn't say. He didn't say, you rebellious children, that's who he's talking about here. He didn't say, I'm going to destroy you. You know, I'm going to tell you something. When I was going to Cambodia this trip and coming back, I, I'm my wife and I, we don't watch movies. I'm not, we just... We just don't have time. We don't watch movies. But when you're on a plane for 14 hours, I watched about five or six movies. Uh, they have movies on the plane. And I want to tell you something. I was absolutely in shock about the movies I watched. Because what Hollywood is putting out today is movies that are anti-God and, and movies that tend to give the slant that God doesn't love you, does not care about you, that God is evil and me. When bad things happen, it's God's fault. The, the messages that I heard and saw in some of these movies, uh, I, I, was a, I, I had to turn some of them off. By the way, if, if you're a Christian believer, I, I would recommend that you turn some of your TVs and movies off. Amen. They do not build and edify your Christian walk. And parents, may I suggest to you that if your children are watching movies you don't know, do you know that the purpose right now of Hollywood is not just to entertain them? 
It is to shift and change and redirect their values into a humanistic, paganistic, secular, anti-Christ attitude. And it really will. But, but when you begin to see movies that begin to curse God, say that God is unfair, unjust, He doesn't care up there. He's just up there planting universes and solar systems. He doesn't care about you. Everything is about blaming Jesus and blaming God. Have you noticed they never blame Islam or they don't blame Allah, they don't blame Buddhists, they don't blame... But it's always Jesus. Jesus gets the bad rap. Have you ever wondered why that is? Because he really is real. The devil doesn't mess with anything that's not real. He knows Jesus is real, but Jesus gets the rap here. But here we find that in this passage... In spite of their rebellion and their unbelief, the Lord says, I still wait for you. He says, I'm a God who's waiting for you to come to me so I can show you not what you deserve, but He says, so I can show you my love and compassion. For the Lord is faithful. Verse 19, O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. For He will be gracious if you ask for help. Everyone say, ask for help. The title of my message today is, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. i got to tell you what happened to me. In fact, the Lord reminded me of this when I got lost in Cambodia. I, was, uh, I had a couple hours between some sessions that I was teaching, and I was right in the city of Phnom Penh. And outside my hotel, about two or three blocks away from the hotel, was a Russian market. It's a, a, it's, a, it's a market, a street market. They sell everything. And I wanted to go to the Russian market to get my granddaughter, my grandson, a little toy. Every time I go out, I like to come back and bring my grandkids a little gift from Grandpa, Papa. Well, I go over to this Russian market. I'm not kidding. I'm not, not, I'm not I wasn't probably two or three blocks away. And I got inside of this huge, massive tent. And, uh, in fact, the Russian market is about the size of our church property here, even back in the field. It's all under tents. And I got into this maze. And I'm a guy that usually has a good sense of direction. I mean, I usually kind of postmark and keep track of things. But when I came out of it and I did my shopping, I started going down the street that I thought was my street. And I got come to find out that's not my hotel. And uh, so I backtracked. I went back. And as I went back to the Russian market, I started looking around this thing. And uh, I remember one of my landmarks was a woman who was playing a tambourine by herself on the street. And I, I started looking for the tambourine lady. Well, she wasn't there. <laughs> and so I went back down the street, and I'm looking again. And I was so completely lost. I was lost for an hour and a half. There was no way for me to call my wife. There was no way for me to call Chuck because I, I have a, an American phone. I don't have an international phone. I'm in a country, and they have these high buildings and all that, and it literally amazed. For an hour and a half, I'm completely lost, and I could not find how to get out. I went back into the market. I went out again. I went different directions. In fact, I only got lost worse. I got to a point where I left the market and got lost in the city. And I literally, for an hour and a half, and now it's starting to get dark, and I'm starting to panic. 
Uh, yours truly was really good. Because I didn't know what to do. Nobody speaks English around there except some people that have broken English. So I did have a I had a business card from my hotel, and I would show the business card to some tuk tuk driver. A tuk tuk driver is a guy who's a taxi cab guy that has a motorcycle that has converted a cart to pull passengers on the cart. And so I, I went to at least a dozen, maybe 15, 20 tuk tuk drivers, different people. Do you know where this hotel is? No one could talk to. I am lost. And I'm not kidding you. The Lord literally spoke to my heart. He says, you haven't asked me, right? Ray, why don't you ask me for help? Why don't you ask me for help? I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. My brain was in such a state of panic, I honestly wasn't thinking about God. I was actually mad at myself. I was so angry that I got myself into a, such a dumb situation like that. And uh, that I, 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 like I said, I usually have a good sense of direction. But I was really lost. I mean, I could not find my way out of that maze of people. And they're all coming and going and fish, you know, fish markets and clothes and everybody's going. And, and people are looking at me. Finally, I'm, I didn't hear an audible voice, but just in my spirit, the Lord, I'm just in this state of panic. The Lord says, you haven't asked for help, right? You haven't asked me for help. And I remember my response to God, which I'm almost embarrassed to tell you. Why should I ask for help? That's what I said. I was so mad at God. I thought, I, some of you are probably going to leave the church on that one. But I, I was so, I was, I, I was almost angry that God would ask me something like that. Why should I ask for help? You know where I'm at. You know, but the, the Lord was just gracious. He says, why don't you ask me for help? And I said, Lord, I need help. I am really in trouble. I don't know where to go. Within 30 seconds, literally less than 30 seconds, a tuk-tuk guy, a guy on a taxi cab, comes up to me, and he speaks the most unbelievable English. He says, you look lost. Yeah, I am lost. He says, you look lost. I says, what's going on? I said, I came into the Russian market. I came out. I have no idea, and I brought the business card to the hotel where I'm at, says, do you know where it's at? And he, look, he looks at the card. Yeah, you're, you're on the opposite side. I had gone out on the opposite side of where I'd come in. I was completely on the other side of this market when I finally come out. He says, get in my tuk-tuk, I'll take it. He took me right to the hotel. It took me four minutes, five minutes, and I was there. I said, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I will meet my wife again. I mean, but what was amazing is within 30 seconds, I'm not kidding you, a guy, a, I did not go to him. I was going to everybody else. This guy comes, you look lost. Are you, you're an American. You look lost. I'm, I'm lost. I was blown away, and it was like when I got back to my hotel, it was like the Holy Spirit say, says to me, I told you. I told you. <laughs> you would just ask, I, I would help you. Well, that was, that was lost, getting lost. Well, number one, the next time Chuck had me and a woman, her name was Pia. She's a Cambodian woman that he asked to go with me to go get some supplies on the other end of town. And we, we went to get some supplies, some things, because we're heading out to the west side of uh, Cambodian border, and we're going to meet, uh, meet some ministry and do some things on the Cambodian border. But 
But me and Pip, we get into this tuk-tuk driver to go get these supplies. And Now, she speaks Cambodian, so she's pretty good, and I thought I'm, I feel pretty safe with Pip with me. Uh, and so we're going to get these supplies and just go right back to the hotel, and then uh, we're going to get in uh, his truck and head on out. Well, we get out over there, and she tells the Cambodian driver, takes his phone number and says, uh, we'll, we'll be back in about 20 minutes because we had to go into the store. Well, we come back out of the store. She makes the phone call to call the taxi cab driver, the tuk-tuk driver, let him know that we are ready for you to pick us up. Well, the phone number doesn't work. So now we're both out here. And by the way, this is a lot farther from our hotel. We're about 30 minutes from the hotel. But we're, again, it's just a maze. Phnom Penh is just a maze of no, no streets that crisscross any direction that you can figure out. So we were out there, both of us, Piet and I, were lost. And I said, you know what, this, this is deja vu all over again. I just had this happen earlier this morning, and now we're doing it again this afternoon. And uh, so we're out there. And uh, so she gets another tuk-tuk driver. And I give him my card again. And this guy, again, couldn't. By the way, a lot of these Cambodian people can't read. About 70, 60, 70% of them do not read. They can't read and write. They're not educated. Education is coming into Cambodia, but many of them do not read. Um, so when they find direction, many Cambodians, they just go by a sense of direction. But uh, she hires another tuk-tuk driver that he thinks he knows where we, where, where we need to go, and he takes us to a complete foreign part of the city, uh, and we're, we're far more lost than we were in the first place. So we're, we're, we're even about probably 45 minutes farther out. And so the Lord pops the question with me again. You haven't asked me, right? Okay, Lord, uh, I need help again. And then, again, this is an amazing. I wish Piet was here to confirm this because this is absolutely miraculous. No sooner than we ended up praying, probably about 15, 20 minutes now, had gone by after we prayed. You won't believe who just drove up. The original tuk-tuk driver who had the phone number that we couldn't get a hold of, he, of all places in a population of two million, happens to show up at that exact address. And he says, what are you guys doing here? And we're saying... What are you doing here? We couldn't get a hold of you. And this guy, we're we're all laughing about it. And she's talking to the guy, and he ends up taking us back to our location because that second tuk-tuk driver did not know where to to help us, even though he tried to. He, He actually put us in a farther location. I'm just here to tell you that I'm here by the grace of God this morning. And uh, that God actually answers prayer. And Isaiah here, he says, you, you ask not because you have not. You have not because you ask not. And when, when we begin to call upon the Lord, do you know God really takes care of his people? Yes. He really does. He really, he does not play favorites. He doesn't play games. When you are in a tight spot, God will actually meet your need. Let me just read a few things down here. I love what it says. He will be gracious. If you ask for help, he will respond. I love what it says. He will respond 
Instantly. Everyone say instantly. To the sound of your cry. You know, I just feel right now the Holy Spirit is saying, there's, there's some people that have been crying out to God. God is saying here to you this morning, He will hear your cry and He will respond instantly. If you cry out to Him and you believe in Him. You know what I love about this passage? Is that God is even telling people who are rebellious and got a bad attitude. If you cry out to me, I'll still hear your cry. You know, a lot of us, you know what we try to do? We actually think that God will hear our prayer when we kind of straighten ourselves up. Okay, God, forgive me for that bad attitude that, oh, I really cussed you out that one time. Well, Lord, let me straighten up. I'll clean my mouth out. Okay, God, now I'm ready to ask you for help. God, God's not asking you to get your life together to ask for help. He says, if you call on me, I will answer you and I will help you. Do you know that God is really that good? In fact, God is in a good mood all the time. He's not in a bad mood because you're in a bad mood. He's always in a good mood. He's always willing to help you. And here in this passage, we find that the Lord was ready to help. And he says, though the Lord has given you adversity for food and the affliction for drink, he will still be with you and teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes and you will hear a voice saying, this is the way. Turn around and walk here. Then you will destroy all your silver idols. Notice what he's saying here. When you experience God's goodness, God says that the key to change in your life is by being exposed to his goodness. God's goodness will give you the power to destroy idolatry. He says, then you will destroy all your silver idols and gold images and you will throw them out like a filthy rag and you will say unto them, be gone. Everyone say, be gone. Be gone. Have you ever said to something that you've been enslaved to? Get out, be gone. God is saying, you're going to say, be gone. Then the Lord will bless you. <laughs> Here's our father here. The Lord's going to bless you with rain. At planting time, there will be wonderful harvests and plenty of pasture land for your cattle. The oxen and the donkeys that till the ground will eat good grain. It's chaff having been blown away by the wind in that day when your enemies are slaughtered. There will be streams of water flowing down from every mountain and hill. The moon will be as bright as the sun and the sun will be seven times brighter like the light of the uh, of, of seven days, so it will be when the Lord begins to heal His people and cure the wounds He gave them. Look, the Lord is coming from far away, burning with anger, st surrounded by a thick, uh, rising smoke. His lips are filled with fury. His words consume like fire. His anger pours out like the flood upon His enemies, sweeping them all away. Now, he's hit, by the way, His enemies are our enemies as well. Verse 29. But the people of God will sing a song of joy like the songs of the holy festivals. You will be filled with joy and with a flutist lead a group of pilgrims to Jerusalem, the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. And the Lord will make his majesty's voice heard. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. God is saying this. This is what God does. God says, if you will call on me, I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. I want to close with a, a little testimony here. And then I want to give you some things to think about 
I was in the front of my hotel, and I, I'm, I'm going on treasure hunts all the time. By the way, treasure hunts fun. Folks are just a blast. And you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and speak to you. And I was, I, I, every time I would come out of my hotel, these tuk-tuk drivers, they would come to me as an American. Hey, you want, you want a ride? You want to? They raise their hands because they, they want you to come and take their cart. So that's how they make some money. Well, there, there was these five guys that were like brothers. I don't know if they were brothers or friends, but they were always together, and they all come. They always surrounded me. I got to know them. I didn't get to know their names. I can't even say their names, but they were just sweet guys. Finally, I decided to pull out my cell phone, and uh, I said, would you like to see my kids and my grandkids? And they said, yeah, yeah. So they all got around, and they loved to look at my cell phone. I have these five little Cambodian heads around me, and they're all look at my cell phone and my grandchildren. And and I, I played some videos because I got little videos of little Reagan and Ethan were having parties and having fun. And they're all laughing at Reagan and Ethan just as I'm showing them these pictures. Two of the guys were men who, in fact, all of them, not all of them were married, but two of them were. I, I don't know about the third one, but two of them were one of the guys, he starts crying when he sees my pictures of my little granddaughter and grandson. And I looked at him and I says, is everything okay? He could speak pretty good English, actually. He says, my wife has left me, and she's, she's taken my kids, and I can't see my kids. And when I see your grandkids, it makes me feel bad because I cannot see my kids. And uh, I said, well, you know what? I believe that God... Now, by the way, just to let you know something else here, I need to say that most Cambodians that are born in Cambodia, it's, it's a Buddhist nation. It's a Buddhist religion. When you're born in Cambodia, you're just considered Buddhist, even though you've never make a, made a decision to be a Buddhist. They, 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 they just associate... If you ask them what religion, they oh, I'm a Buddhist. I never go to the temple. I don't worship, but I'm a Buddhist. So they all claim to be Buddhists. Well, I said that Jesus Christ is not Buddhist, but Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And I said, he actually created you. And uh, I asked these guys, I said, does Buddhists care for you? None of them ever even heard such a question. We didn't know. And here's the reason. Because Buddhist doesn't have a relationship with any of his priests. Buddhism is all about what you do, what you work for. And I said, do you know that Jesus Christ just didn't die to wash your sins? Jesus died because he wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to come to experience his glory and his goodness. And I said, Jesus heals the broken heart. And I said to this father who was looking at little Reagan and Ethan, I said, can I pray with you guys? And you know what's amazing? All of them said, yes, you can pray for it. They all wanted to be prayed for. They knew I was a preacher, by the way, that by that time. I said, I'm going to pray right out in the middle, right out in the front door of the lobby of the hotel. I put my arms around all five of those guys. And by the way, I, I just want to say this carefully, but they all stank. They don't take baths for a week. They're, you know, they're out. They, they, uh, they're, they're just, their hygiene is like ours. But I remember putting my arms in my mouth. 
I had to take a, get some oxygen because I'm praying. And the Lord just began to speak to my heart. He says, these are also my sons. These are also my daughters. And I want you to love them as they are your sons or your grandsons and daughters. So I began to pray over them. This one guy who said his wife had taken his kids. He had never seen his kids. He began to weep. And I mean, just something was happening on this guy. He looks up to me and he said this to me. What did you do to me? I said, I just prayed for you. He said, something hot is in me. Why am I so hot? I said, it's the presence of the Lord. And he just said, I, I just feel such peace. I said, that's the Holy Spirit. And then the guy started trembling. And right there, and these other guys are looking at him, and this one friend of his put his arm on his shoulder, and when he touched his shoulder, this guy starts trembling. And, 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 the, and the, right there, we're having a Holy Spirit moment as the presence of God is just touching. By the way, these are Buddhists. We haven't said the Lord's Prayer. We haven't brought them into the kingdom. They're, they're just shaking and just, they don't know what's going on. Actually, to tell you the truth, I didn't know what was going on either. Except I knew that the Holy Spirit was just touching them with the love of God. And I said, God is here to, to minister to you. And I said, you know, I, I don't have a word. Because I, 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 I didn't. I didn't have a word. I, I'm not going to give a word I don't have. But I, I, I wish I could have said, your wife's going to bring your kids. I, I didn't have that. I didn't say it. But I said, I feel the Lord wants to reveal the Father to you. And God wants to reveal. And I said, I'd love to pray with you. I prayed with them to receive Jesus they did lip service. I, I don't know if they received the Lord or not. I don't know if they, because I haven't, hadn't had time to share the gospel. They said that. But here's the interesting. From that situation, the next morning, the next morning, I'm eating breakfast in this little buffet they have in the hotel. They serve breakfast in this hotel. A waitress comes up to me and she says, can you sit in my section? I said, well, okay. And she said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. So I go and sit in her section. And she says, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yes. How did you know? I saw you pray with those tuk-tuk drivers yesterday. And would you pray with me too? I said, sure. So I, I prayed with this little waitress. And as I'm waiting, praying for her, the Lord drops a word in my heart. And the Lord spoke to me that she was a believer. I don't know to what degree, but I knew the, that she was a Christian. She loved the Lord. And the Lord gave me a, a word of knowledge. And the word of was this. You're involved with a young man that you really like a lot, but you're in a lot of turmoil in this relationship because he's a Buddhist and you're not. And when I told her that, she starts shaking. She starts, I mean, she just like, how did you know that? How did you know that? I said, well, the Holy Spirit just showed me that you're in a relationship. And I said, you are unequally yoked with this man. And as soon as you break it off and you just surrender yourself to the Lord, God will take care of the rest. She's right there. She starts streaming. Then she runs out because she's working. She's supposed to be working. So she runs out because she doesn't want anybody to see her crying. She runs out 
And then she comes back and she's all composed. She comes over to my table and she's pouring coffee that I didn't ask for. But she, she's pouring me coffee and <laughs> she's giving herself a reason to be there, I guess. But she's pouring coffee and um, she says, I want to know God like you know God. And I said, well, I, I gave her a business card to the New Life Foundation where Pastor Chuck and Jesse and Soar and his wife go. And I said, let me tell you something. Jesus wants to put peace in your life. You, you have a lot of turmoil right now. But if you call upon the Lord, he will answer you. And, you know, she, she, we just prayed, and the peace of God just filled her heart. And I, we have some more stories. I'll, I'll save them for la later. But I, I want to just close in, in closing here. I think one of the things, in order for us, what to do when you don't know what to do. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Number one, we need to take inventory and ask ourselves, where are we at with the Lord? How many of you know it's good to take inventory and ask yourself, where are my priorities? The second thing we need to do is we need to run to the throne of grace in the time of need. You need to just come as you are. You need to come with the knowledge you have a heavenly father just like Isaiah 30. Remember, Isaiah was prophesying to rebels that didn't want God. And yet, if God is saying that to rebels, how much more is he saying that to us who really do love God and love the Lord? But even to rebels here, he says, if you call on me, I want to be gracious to you. And then he says, when my grace comes and reveals itself to you, he said, then you will throw away your silver and your gold idols. Do you know how you bring change in people? you know how you see change? is when you begin to show them the Father. When you begin to show them the love of God, that's how they walk away from their enslaving powers. These, that little tuk-tuk driver and that little waitress experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they knew that something hit them. They knew that something was real that they had never known before. And I, I believe God wants us to know that we have a Father in Heaven that as we come boldly to the throne of grace, as we just come, it says that if we come boldly to obtain mercy, He will freely give to us. Amen. should have bow your heads this morning. Bow your heads. We serve an awesome God. I, I just want to tell you, church, how proud I am of you. I, so proud of you because I really believe the reason why we saw some of these miracles was because you guys were praying. I asked my wife to put that up. I, I want to thank you as a church. You're such an awesome people. I'm, I'm so proud to be connected with you guys. Just appreciate this church family. But I want to thank you for your prayers because that's the key for the Holy Spirit moving. But maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor, I'm in a place where I don't know what to do. I need his wisdom. I need his impartation this morning. I just need the Lord to open my heart and open my eyes. I, I, I need healing. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Okay, see your hand. See your hand. You're in a place where you don't know what to do. What to do when you don't know what to do. We have a God. The Bible says... Who sh the Lord is a God that should never mark iniquities, but there is forgiveness with him that we may fear him. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we? Let's all stand to our feet.
Praise God. Amen. Still alive out there? Amen. By the way, tonight is life groups, but I want us to close in prayer. I'm going to pray. If you'd like prayer down here in front, love to pray with you. But by the way, I, I just want to send you out with this, is that God is here to empower you. Empower your mind. He wants, wants your heart and mind to be strengthened with the knowledge of a Father who wants to connect you with His grace. Amen? We serve an awesome God. It's, you know what? Just, I just love being a Christian. I just love just showering people with the, the, the love of God. It's so awesome to do that. I want you, I want you, in fact, let's all take each other by the hand. Can you grab someone's hand? We're going to pray as a church family. Father, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord, for your tremendous mercy. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that even as Isaiah was prophesying to to people that was walking away, yet you extended yourself to them. Lord, you do not love like man loves. Lord, you love us. You see the best. You bring out the best. Lord, I just pray right now that your people would be empowered with the knowledge of restoration because grace and peace is always multiplied in the knowledge of you. Lord, I just pray for those who raise their hands that that you would just open the heavens and give them the wisdom that they need. Lord, we pray that you would dispense and disperse your presence upon them in a mighty way. Lord, we love you today. You're the shepherd of our souls. You care about us. If anybody here doesn't know Jesus, Lord, help them to realize that all they have to do is just ask. Just call upon you and they shall be saved. Help them to know that, Lord, you hold no sin against them. You hold no guilt against them or no shame because Jesus took our shame. He cleansed and he washed and made us whole. Father, I pray right now that as a loving shepherd, you would embrace us. Embrace your people, Lord. Those that may be like a flagpole on the hill, like Isaiah says, Lord, you would embrace them, hold them close. Lord, we give you the highest praise. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn to someone and give them a hug this morning. In Jesus' name. Don't forget life groups tonight. God bless you. Have a great night.